Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and we are continuing to look at the Ten Commandments in a particular context. You remember, uh, perhaps, that uh, a long time ago we looked at the Ten Commandments in the context of what I call the forest of God's love. And this was the idea that we needed to look at each of the Ten Commandments, but also not lose sight of the overall picture of Jesus and his salvation and what God has done for us. Because if we focus too much on simply the law, then we lose sight of who God is and what God has done through Jesus Christ and what that means for who we are. We love how the Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, takes the Ten Commandments and instead of putting it in the, the human misery section, which just is a burden that reminds us of how wicked we are, instead the Catechism remembers that because of Jesus Christ, the law is transformed from a burden of guilt into something that we can obey in gratitude to God for our salvation, which we could not earn without our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now we are looking at the Ten Commandments again, and we have been looking at the Ten Commandments in terms of what it really means to live and be a human, to be a human being. Because, because the idea of us being, you know, uh, sinful and flawed people, yes, that's true, but it is not essentially who humans were created to be. We weren't created to be sinful, but nonetheless, we chose sin, each and every one of us, starting with Adam and Eve, and, and so we have been corrupted by that, and part of the corruption of that is that we have forgotten what it really means to be human. We, we think that to, to lie or to steal or to covet or to commit adultery or whatever, that those are only human things. When in fact, the opposite is true. Those are unhuman things. They are things that we do. They are things that are, that are built into us now because of the corruption of our nature and our sin and so on. But, but that's not how it was meant to be. And see, this is one of the things that Jesus came to show us. Not only did he come to save us from her sins, but he also came to demonstrate for us what it means to live a truly human life. A life that is lived in perfect obedience and gratitude and love with the Father and with the Spirit. And so that is the context in which we are looking at the Ten Commandments. This morning we are looking at the uh, commandment, the third commandment, which is, sorry, I'm getting there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, I want you to know that uh, 
I think probably most of us are guilty of, uh, shall I say, potty mouths at times. Um, there are things that we either have said in the past that are, that are not great, that we shouldn't have. But, but we're not talking about vulgar words. We're not, talking about, uh, we're not talking about what some folks used to call farmer words. We're not, we're, not, we're not talking about those. We are this morning speaking specifically about the name of the Lord your God. God. We, we refer to God as God, or we refer to God as Jesus, Jesus Christ, uh, the Father, the Holy Spirit, right? The, the names by which we know God, Yahweh, Elohim, and so on. These names are important and significant. And so this commandment tells us that we are not to misuse this. Verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The word of the Lord. Amen. We want to also look at Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of our favorite sort of confessional documents. It's not sort of confessional. It's definitely confessional. It's uh, one of our favorites, but not the exclusive favorite because we have other favorites. Eh, anyways, if you have questions about what the heck I was talking about, feel free to talk to me afterwards. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 99. What is the aim or what is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme or misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, pray to him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Question and answer 100. Is it blasphemy of God's name by, is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such a serious sin that God is angry also with those who do and do not do all they can to help prevent it and forbid it? The answer, yes, indeed. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. Well, those are strong words that we hear from the catechism and thankfully, we do not practice the death penalty in this day. We are reminded that we are saved by grace alone and that there is forgiveness for all our sins, even sins such as taking the Lord's name in vain. But we need to talk a little bit about what taking the Lord's name in vain is. Uh, one of my one of my favorite actors these days, largely because of his name, is Benedict Cumberbatch. 
I love that name. It's such a great one. You can substitute all kinds of things like Benedict Cucumber Patch and, um, you know, I don't know. What else we got? Benadryl Cucumber? (laughs) Okay, right? Anything with the appropriate number of syllables starting with a B and a C is good. Right, but can you imagine walking along and you you know you hit your you hit your thumb with a hammer and you go Benedict cucumber patch oh right it, it doesn't make a lot of sense but also if you're really actually angry and if you happen to be friends with Benedict Cumberbatch and he happens to be there. He might be a little confused and maybe even upset that you use his name to swear. What are you doing? Why do you do that? It'd be like me walking around saying, Gwyneth Zilstra. That's my wife's name. <laughs> right? 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 And, and, and think about this. Like, it's funny, but if my wife's name becomes a swear word in my mouth, What does that show about my relationship with her? Right? It's a little bit like the people who, hopefully nobody does this anymore, but the people who walk around saying, oh, the old ball and chain, talking about their spouse. And and I I don't mean just as a joke. I mean, whatever, right? But if, if you're actually looking at your spouse as if, he or she is a weight around your ankle dragging you down? If you actually believe that about your spouse, how is your relationship with your spouse? Honest question. Tell me, anybody. Is that a good relationship? No, no, it's not. I was a little worried there for a second, right? It is not a good relationship, right? See, we were, we, were, we were created to be in relationship. How do we know this? We know this because right in the beginning of the Bible, God says when he is creating people, he says, and this is the only time he says this, he says, let us create man in our image, right? Let us. This is the only time that God dialogues within God's self about any of the creation stuff. For all of the other things that he creates, he says, let there be this, let there be that, let there be the other thing, and it was so, and it was good, and yay, wonderful. But God says, let us create man in our image. And and that is critically important because throughout the scriptures, it is revealed to us over and over again that God is a relational God. In fact, God is, is relational within God's self. He is Trinity, one God, three persons, not three gods, you know, or or anything like that, but he's one God in three persons, eternally in relationship within God's self. And how is that relevant in the discussion of creating man? Well, it's interesting because God highlights that he is doing that within God's self. He is discussing that within God's self. And then much later on, we hear from John, the apostle John, that, that what is what is God? God is love, which is a profoundly relational thing. 
God is love. God is love always eternally coexisting and relating within God's self. And God's love pours out to us. Most, most prominently, most centrally, we see that love poured out to us in Jesus Christ, the, the pivotal time, a, a, a pivotal, pivotal event of our lives, of, of human history being the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God with us. Emmanuel. And, and then God, God is, is asked in Jesus Christ, He's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And, and you all know this. What was, what was the answer that Jesus gave? Yes, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So put the pieces together here, folks. God discusses within God's relational, ever eternal, loving being, the creation of humankind in his image. God is declared to be love. God declares that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We were created fundamentally to be in loving relationship with God and with each other. <laughs> and if God's name is a swear word in our mouths that says something fundamentally wrong is going on in our relationship with God, Either, either it is that we don't care about God or we hate God even worse or, or perhaps it is a reality that, that we, we just don't know God and so we treat God and His name cavalierly as if they don't matter, they're irrelevant. They can be tossed away like I can toss away the, the word hamburger or whatever without any consequences. It, it, it's not healthy. It's not good. But, but not only is it about how it is not healthy and not good for us, it, it is certainly true that we need to remember, and, and we are so bad at this, we need to remember who God is. Remember the story of Job. Right? The story of Job is that Job has a great life from all human appearances. He has a great life. He has, you know, he has children, he has family, he has great wealth, he has great cattle and everything like this. Everything is good. And, and then Satan comes along into the kingdom of heaven with all the other angels who are called there. And, and, and Satan and God have this dialogue. And Satan says, you know, hey, people aren't righteous people are bad people are terrible and then god says well what what about my servant job he's a good guy he is faithful he loves me and, and satan says no no he doesn't he's he just he loves you because of all the stuff you give him all the wonderful life you give him and god says okay okay i'll take you up on that go ahead test him 
see what happens. And so Satan does. God reserves only Job's life. And Satan sifts Job's life. Family members die. Wealth is lost. His own health is ruined. And then his friends come around and talk with him. His friends. They have a lot of words for him. But in the end, his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just curse God and die? In other words, why don't you just use the name of God in a terrible way? Slander him. Tell him you hate him. Tell him that you're done. Tell him that... And then Job talks with God and says, why? Why did you do this to me? Why has all this happened to me? And, and I hope and pray that none of you have to experience all the horrible things that Job had to go through. But I, but I know that some of you have experienced some of those things and they've been terrible. And you might have been tempted to curse God and die. But when Job asked God, why? God says, who are you to ask me these questions? Don't you remember who I am? Where were you, he says, when I flung the stars into space? And, and as hard as that answer is, it is a good and proper one. Because Job needs to remember, as do we, who God is. Yes, God, through Jesus Christ, is our brother. Yes, God is our friend. Yes, God is one who saves us. Yes, God is one who loves us and who is merciful to us. But we must remember that that is in the context of the, the sheer scale and awe and holiness and righteousness of who God is. The Bible tells us that not only were all things created through Jesus Christ, but all things are sustained and have their being through Jesus Christ right now. Everything in this universe, however big this universe is, how many alien beings there are, how many planets, how many stars, galaxies, whatever, and down to the microscopic and beyond into quarks and neutrinos and whatever, all of those things are currently held together and have their being because Jesus is actively keeping them together. We can, we can breathe right now because Jesus. We have the, the breath and the mouth and the lungs and the tongue and the vocal cords that we need to swear if we want to because of Jesus. God is 
a big bigger than we could ever imagine. And yet that God emptied himself, the Bible says, of everything and became in very nature a servant, becoming one of us in Jesus Christ and living among us, walking among us, talking with us, healing us from our diseases, dying for us, conquering sin and death for us, rising from the grave, giving us the Holy Spirit, adopting us into his family, and promising that he will return again for us. So it should be obvious that it is unwise to use the name of the Lord your God in vain. But it should also be clear that if we do that, there is something fundamentally wrong in our relationship with God. And, and see, this is where being human comes in. Because this is a beautiful thing. Just like with all of the other sins, being human in the sense that God originally intended and the sense that God will bring us to in the end if we are willing, being human means being free of all of these things. The first two commandments we talked about were really talking about worshiping other gods, whether, there be, whether they be idols or just ideas or whether they be money or power, whatever we worship more than we worship God or even at all alongside God. You know, and, and through Jesus and through the working of the Holy Spirit and God's ultimate plan, we can be free from idolatrousness. I cannot tell you what a relief it will be to me when I am finally no longer ever falling to the temptation to worship myself, my own wants and desires, or worship money, entertainment, or whatever. When I'm free of those things and I am finally, fully, and completely, all the time, have my heart's arrow focused on God, aiming at the right target, as we talked about last week, when that is finally true, oh, what a relief. To be free from all that junk. And in this too, when my relationship with God is so right that there's not even the shadow of the whisper of temptation to want to use his name in vain. Cavalierly, casually, or in hate, cursing, whatever. <coughs> when my relationship with God is appropriately tight, and I understand just who God is and who I am, and I can live in that truth, What joy. Now, 
the final day when that will be completely and totally true will not be in this lifetime. But that being said, even now there is great grace for us. Once again, I could stand here and ask how many of us are perfect in terms of using the names Lord of Faith. And I, I, I mean, I mean all the ways, not not using it casually, not using it uh, in hate or spite, not using it as you know a backup for some lie that you're you're saying or whatever, and and not just the things that we do out loud, but the the, the words and thoughts in our heart, and beyond that, how how perfect are we? Are am I? Are you at honoring God? As he is. And I would be confident that nobody could raise their hands. But there is grace. There is grace because this is the truth about all the commandments. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is not a single commandment that we can keep properly. Not really, not when it comes to the heart of it. But Jesus comes in and says, hey, look, this is what a perfect human life looks like. But not only that, I know you can't do it. And so I will do it for you. I will do it for you so that you don't need to do it any longer in order to be okay with God. Instead, you get to do it in working with the Holy Spirit. It is a free joy. So, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, oh, I never realized sort of the scope of what it means to use the Lord's name in vain. I, I, I don't I can't comprehend the fullness of who God is. And and I have treated God cavalierly. I have treated his name as a cuss word or, or or used it as backup in some of my schemes or lies. If you're sitting there wondering about these things, be at peace. Don't don't continue on. Turn and think. Turn and feel. Look at your, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your family whom you love. And, and, and remember how much more God loves you than even they could. And how terrible it would be if the names of your loved ones became swear words in your mouth. But remember too that God loves and His grace is more than sufficient for you. Let us journey on together to be free from taking the Lord's name in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word to us. Oh God, forgive us for all the ways in which we have taken your name in vain in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our actions, our words. Oh God, please forgive us. Lord, it is true that we cannot fully comprehend who you are. It is true, O God, that we do not understand fully the height and width and depth of your love. But we pray, O God, that through your Holy Spirit, we may come to renewed understanding of all of those things. And that we may walk side by side with you as our friend, our brother, our Lord and King, our almighty, holy and righteous God. Our example, our light, our world. May we grow in the reverence and awe of your name, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.